hope we understand, like, the time of worship that, that we commit together to the Lord really is movement of us individually, but also as a community, that <clears throat> when we gather here this morning, our desire is to look upward toward God together through song, through reading the scriptures, to, to look up and to see God, to notice how big and wonderful and glorious he is. But there's the invitation in there that, that it's not just about looking up toward God, but also looking inward. You know, that first song we, we sang, the more I seek you, I find you. The more I find you, I love you. There is also an inward movement in the life of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. And it bears the fruit of us living with our lives directly toward the world around us. And so our worship plays a role in that. It's not just a matter of learning God's word and saying, okay, I'm going to go and obey that to the best of my ability. It's understanding that God wants to shape us fully in this relationship vertically with him, inwardly in who he's created us to be as his children, and certainly outward as he's created his children to interact with the world, to be his light in this world, to, to, to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. And so uh, it's good to, to consider the different aspects of our worship and, and to be able to be a part of that together this morning. This morning, I'm a little bit curious uh, because we don't always get a chance to sit down and talk with one, or about the, one another about these things, but I'm just kind of curious, what is it that you want this morning? Now, I get it, that, that can be a, a funny question to ask because some of us may say, well, I could really go for an egg sandwich, right? Or, I, you know, I wouldn't mind another cup of coffee, if you don't mind. Or I, I'd love it if my, my kids would stop arguing. Or, or maybe uh, I'd love it if my husband would actually take his dirty laundry and put it in the hamper, right? Or I, I'd love it if my wife could continue being the perfect woman that she is. You guys are now evidence. I said that this morning. Tara needs to hear from you that I said she's perfect and she needs to continue to be perfect. You guys are my witnesses. There's the witness that God calls us to be. The question is, what is, what is it that you desire this morning? What is it you want? A number of us have these, we have Amazon wish lists that we can share with someone if they say, hey, what do you want for your birthday? Right? Or we've got these notes in our, our iPhones that we can share uh, with other people on our, our notepad or whatever. The question, what do you want, can be a hard question for us to answer. I, I have a hard time answering that question when someone comes to me at Christmas time or my birthday and says, what do you want? I oftentimes say, well, just, you know, a gift card would be great because I really don't know what I want. Others of us are well prepared, but, but not all of us. It's a hard question. This morning, I want to encourage us to, to think about this question a little bit more closely, to think about what is it you desire, what is it you want, and, and, and in fact, I'm going to encourage us as we hit those, the, what I would call low-hanging fruit of, uh, of some of the easier answers, we're going, to, we're going to do a little bit like making butter. As we churn the fat of that or the churn the, the, the milk of that discussion, we're going to skim off the top layer and set it aside because we want to know what's deep down, what's our, what's our desire, what's our longing this morning. Let me give you a quick example of what I mean by deeper desire. Now, I, I know from time to time we talk about, or I'll talk about things like going to the gym or, or eating. I talk about eating a lot. I understand that. But going to the gym, and, and, and there's a desire that I have to be healthy, to get in shape, to, 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 to look like I'm in shape. I've got more energy. But, but here's the thing. My, my desire is a little bit more specific than that. See, that's the low-hanging fruit that I want to get in shape. I want to look like I'm, like I'm ready for the summer or that I'm healthy and energetic and, and can handle anything. But, but the thing is, it's a little bit more than that. See, I want to, I want to be attractive to my wife. I want to, I want to, I want to 
look and feel like I'm attractive and I belong, right? There's a desire to, to be known and loved. That's my deeper desire. And it's not even that the satisfaction of that desire is met in my relationship with my wife. The deeper desire, I believe, is a God-given desire to be accepted, to, to belong, to be loved, to, to be valued. St. Augustine, one of, uh, who's one of the uh, early influencers of the church, once said that, uh, well, he's almost writing a prayer. He says, our hearts are restless, O God, until we find our rest in you. In, in other words, there's nothing that, that can satisfy the desire, the deep down longings of our heart, but God himself. Almost as if there's this uh, a God-shaped cookie-cutter mold or, or hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God himself and satisfy the deep longings of our hearts. So this morning, as we look at our passage in John, by the way, we're still in John chapter 1. Don't worry, maybe we'll throw like a little pizza party when we get to the end of the first chapter or something like that. But, but here we are, we're in John, and, and as we do, I want to encourage us to consider this this longing, this desire that John invites us to, to, to think about, this deeper longing for God himself. Because I think as we do, we're going to realize that we'll, we'll gain a, a chance to look inward, to understand that we do have deeper desires, deeper longings than what seems like on the surface. That, that God has created us with longings that we'll only identify when we give ourselves a space to look inward a little bit to give ourselves room to reflect on what, what things are stirring deep down with inside of me. And also, as part of that, we'll realize that only when we look upward and see God and understand who he is and how big and beautiful and bold and glorious he is, will we understand that it's only in him that those desires are met. Jesus talks about this in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about this desire that we have to, to, to seek after heavenly treasures. In fact, it's actually in Matthew 7. And he talks about challenging his disciples to, 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 to build up for themselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In essence, he's saying, listen, I think that you can discern the difference between earthly treasures, which will fade, which will, dis will rust, which will, will kind of disintegrate as moths eat at it, which can be stolen, you can discern the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. Heavenly treasures are those that will last for eternity, that will never fade, will never rust, will never be stolen. They're secure in heaven for you. Jesus said to his disciples, I know that you can discern the difference, and I desire for you to choose those heavenly treasures. But the problem is, we oftentimes are driven by these desires of earthly things that do fade and, and rust and, and go away, right? If you've ever been addicted to something, if you, if you know what it's like to live from high to high, if you're addicted to coffee, right? Coffee in the morning, you need that cup of coffee to boost you, to lift you up. If you've been addicted to eating food, and, and when you get to this point where you're in this really emotionally dark place, you, you get a piece of food to, to kind of lift your spirits, to what we sometimes say is emotionally eat. If you've been addicted to nicotine, painkillers, alcohol, whatever it is, we know how to live from high to high because the high never remains. It fades, it rusts, it, it, it can be stolen from us. You always need more. But see, I think when we look upward, we realize that in Christ, there is an eternal treasure that will not fade, that will not rust, that will not go away. And so 
question this morning we need to ask ourselves, what is it that you desire? What is it that you long? And so holding this question in mind for, with us this morning, I want to encourage us to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 35, and as we did uh, to last week, we're going to consider this moment in Jesus' life when he's coming onto the scene of ministry, right? This is a point where we've been listening to John the Baptist witness, and now John the Baptist is actually introducing us to Jesus, just as he had done in our passage the day before. Let me read for us from John chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. We read this. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Let me give thanks for God's word before we dig into it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you uh, have given us this gift, a gift of your word. Not just history being recorded for us, but your living and active word that breathes life into us, that gives us wisdom, that challenges us that convicts us and then communicates your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray this morning that as we walk through these four verses that, that, we, would, that we would see you where you are, that we would be awakened to your presence with us, that your word would take root deep in our lives, Lord, and transform us from the inside out that we would be people who have the wisdom to discern the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures and to pursue the heavenly treasure found only in Christ. So Lord, bless us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to think about something. I wonder this morning if you have ever stood in a line waiting for something. I know that, uh, that there are a number of examples in our lives, and, and where we pick up in our passage this morning, John and two of his disciples are standing where they were the day before when Jesus walked by, and I think they're standing there for a purpose, right? If you've ever uh, been around when Chick-fil-A has opened a new branch, whether it was uh, further north in Connecticut or, or in Danbury or actually more recently in Norwalk, you know they do a little promotion that the first 100 people in line uh, actually get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Incredible. Very cool. So what happens is all these fans of Chick-fil-A will camp outside in the parking lot the night before to be the first 100 people or one of the first 100 people in line in the morning get Chick-fil-A for a year. Or maybe, maybe you're one of those people that likes to wake up at an ungodly hour on Black Friday to get in line for a doorbuster sale, which is one of those incredible sales that, that, that you only see on this one day after uh, Thanksgiving. It's changed. It's a little bit different now. But there was a day when stores wouldn't release the sales, where they wouldn't open their doors until the early in the hours after Thanksgiving Day. And so people would line up in force outside these stores. And when the doors would open, they would rush in to get what they had been waiting for, what they'd been anticipating, this unheard of sale that, that would only be available for that day or until supplies ran out. So this morning in our passage, John and his disciples are standing where they had been the day before, waiting for Jesus to come by. 
the language actually encourages us to, to, to pay attention to this, that, that the type of standing that John and his disciples are doing is filled with purpose. The Greek communicates this conviction, this solid <clears throat> planting of their feet, waiting and watching for something to happen. They're not just standing there, passing time. They're waiting and anticipating Jesus to come back, to come by, to walk by them so they might see him again. Now, I know that our translation to English says that they looked at Jesus as he walked by. But again, if we consider what's written here in the Greek, there's a more full understanding of what John is saying, what he's communicating, what his, he and his two disciples are doing. When, it, when you think about it, they're, they're looking. They're not just looking, but they're staring intently. There's this eager desire, this longing, this, this anticipation that, that, they have, uh, that, that they're, they're, they're postured toward in standing there by the Jordan River waiting for Jesus to come by. See, a couple years ago, I remember getting a call when I was getting out of the gym at the YMCA here in town, and it was one of those calls that um, Code Red, I don't know if you know that, it's like a program that um, leaders in town can, can send out a message to a group of people in, in times of emergency or if there's a you know, road closure or something like that. And I remember when I got out of the gym, I got a phone call, and it was first selectman Mike Tetro here in town notifying us that there was an active threat in the schools in town. And so a number of schools were under uh, a lockdown, and it was not a drill. It was a real thing. Now, it turned out to uh, just be someone in another country that was swatting, which is swatting is when they call in a threat to, to see the SWAT team come out and, and address a, a threat going on. But at the time, all we knew was that we were told to wait for the next update to let us know what was going on, or we could gather at the Quick Center at Fairfield U and, and wait to get um, more uh, up-to-date um, updates on, on the scenario as it was unfolding. Now, before we could get over the, the, the Quick Center, they found out that th this was just a hoax, that it wasn't real, that, uh, that, that everyone was safe, but they were going to release the kids early, and so uh, we now had to wait for our kids to come home on the bus. They weren't going to let you pick them up at the school. And I remember that day, for Tara and I, we counted the minutes going by, waiting for that bus to arrive. We went to the bus stop and just stood there looking for that bus to come around the corner. We, we could not wait. We were eagerly waiting for that bus to arrive and to see our boys get off the bus. We waited with hope and, and anticipation. We desired to know that our boys were safe. We'd heard it, but we wanted to see it for ourselves. So the question, <clears throat> again, I want to ask us this morning, not only what is it that you desire, but what is it that you are waiting for with expectation? What is it that, that your desire is so great for in this, this morning that, that you're waiting for it with eager expectation and longing? When we sit here together on Sunday mornings or, or when, we, when we wake up early in our morning devotions, what is it that you're waiting for? Do, do you sit there waiting with expectation for God to reveal himself? To see Jesus in the scriptures? To, to consider this moment where Jesus is there with you in our worship? To, to realize that this is not an exercise only of our minds, but it's an exercise of our minds, heart, soul, and strength, our whole selves. And so when you sit there on Sunday mornings, what do you wait for? Do we wait on him? Do we create silence, not just in our world, but in our hearts, in our minds, to wait on God, to wait on Jesus showing up and revealing himself to us? Do we create silence in prayer? 
See, the, the reality is God has so much more to say to us than we have to say to him. He already knows what's on our, in our hearts and our minds. He created us. He knows what's going on in our world. He has so much more to say to us than we have to say to him. So the question is, do we, do we create silence in prayer where, where we can wait with expectation for Jesus to reveal himself? See, as followers of Jesus, we posture our lives in such a way that we're looking intently for Jesus to show up in the scriptures. Not just like read a story about Jesus, but to read the passage in such a way that there's this moment where, where you, God reveals himself to you in this new and rich and powerful way where you're excited, you're, you can't wait to tell someone else or, or it deeply informs something going on in your life. Do we wait on Jesus to show up to satisfy our soul's deepest longings. No amount of likes on Facebook will satisfy that longing. No amount of raises or recognition from our bosses or, or family or friends will satisfy the longing that only Jesus can provide for us. We need to make space in our hearts. We need to make space in our minds by, by cutting out some of those distractions, those things that, 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 that rust and that fade and can be so easily stolen from us. We need to set those desires aside, realizing that none of them will actually satisfy the longing of our hearts. If we continue to pursue those things, we're just going to be living from high to high, looking for the next high, the next picture that we can post that provides more likes on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it would be, or, or, or trying to, to earn someone else's approval. We focus on Jesus. We look intently to him. We wait for him to reveal himself, to show up. And we focus on him, not just by looking on him and uh, looking toward him intently and waiting for him, but by listening to him as well. Listen to what John says in verse 37 of our passage. He says, the two disciples heard him say this and they, they followed Jesus. Now to be clear here, the, the disciples heard John say, behold the Lamb of God. In essence, they, they heard John preaching a Christ-centered sermon. They, they heard John preaching about Jesus. They heard John preaching about the Messiah, this anointed one that God has promised who would save his people. They would save the chosen ones of God, the Israelites. Last week, we discussed the imagery in the scriptures that would have come to mind for John's listeners when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. One passage in particular we looked at was Isaiah 53. Remember, remember what uh, Isaiah says, or what God says through Isaiah. He talks about this lamb, the sacrificial lamb that would, that, that would bear our iniquities so that we might have peace with God and healing from our pains. He says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. Lord was, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, this lamb of God is, is punished for our sin. This lamb of God bears our iniquity because 
we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned away from God. We've pursued this low-hanging fruit of our desires, thinking that it's going to satisfy our soul, only to find out that it doesn't. And so we look for the next thing that might satisfy our soul. That's what we look like when we turn away from God, when we walk away from him, not realizing that the true satisfaction for our souls, the peace that we desire with God, the healing of our souls that we all long for, can only be found in Christ, who is this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, our, our world, we experience in our world fear and judgment. When we think about God, we think about this holy God. We, we know him to be our creator who is holy, and we fear him. We, we recognize that he rightly judges the creation that he has provided, and yet our world needs to hear God's grace and his forgiveness. We need to hear Jesus preached. We need to hear Jesus shared amongst us. We need to have people like John the Baptist say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our world needs to hear this. See, John's disciples, they had spent the last day thinking about John's sermon. They had spent the last day thinking about John when he declared to them beside the Jordan River, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and they want to know more. They were waiting. They were watching expectantly. They were listening for that story that points to Jesus as being the one that truly satisfies the longing of their hearts. And they listened closely for the truth about Jesus to be proclaimed. And so I wonder this morning, who do you have in your life that preaches this truth to you? Who is it that's like a John the Baptist in your life who proclaims, behold the Lamb of God? Or maybe this, maybe you need to consider who is it in your life that you're proclaiming, look, guys, look, this, this is Jesus. What you'll find is acceptance and belonging and grace and forgiveness if you trust in him. If you look to him, if you kind of give up all those other worldly pursuits and trust that only he will satisfy the longing of your heart. Trust him. Maybe, who, who are you proclaiming that truth to? Maybe you're supposed to be John the Baptist in someone's life. And maybe God is putting that person on your heart right now. See, there is a purpose in us being John the Baptist and recognizing that we all have a John the Baptist in our lives. Even Jesus did this for his disciples. And I'm not even talking about those ones that he taught as he lived his life prior to his crucifixion. There's this great story in Luke 24. It's not going to be up on the screen, but let me just read a couple of verses for you from the New Testament in, in uh, Luke 24. Let me find it real quickly. Oh, I was already past it. Ha! Pastor's flipping to a page in the Bible and he doesn't realize he's already past it in the Bible. There's a story in Luke 24 where after Jesus rose from the grave, right? And, and, he's, and there's these two disciples. They don't know that Jesus has, has actually risen. Or actually they do know, but I'm not sure they believe it. Because they're walking back to this village called Emmaus, and they're downcast, they're sad, they're, they're burdened, they're mourning the fact that Jesus was just crucified. And we're told that as they walk along, they don't recognize him, but Jesus comes up alongside them, and he begins to proclaim to them this truth that, that, that this is actually going to be, or this, is, this had to happen, that, that this is how God would fulfill his promises. So let me just read a couple of verses from Luke 24, verses 26 through 27. He says this, 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, even there, even Jesus found it necessary to point out to the, the, those who were close to him, hey guys, get it? Look at None of those things are going to satisfy you. What I just did was necessary that I might satisfy the deepest longing of your heart to provide peace between you and God, that you might find healing for the wound of your soul, and that you might have a relationship with God again. Even Jesus found it necessary to be like a John the Baptist to his disciples, to point to himself, to point to the scriptures, to point to the prophets, and say this was all necessary. We need someone in our life to proclaim Jesus. We need to be someone in someone else's life who proclaims Jesus. One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is in 1 Samuel where there's this priest, Eli, who, who comes alongside a young Samuel who became a prophet. And, and, and this is actually where, when Samuel receives his calling. But there in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God's calling out to Samuel, but Samuel doesn't, doesn't get it. He doesn't know that it's God calling out to him. He thinks maybe it's Eli. And it took someone, a mature priest like Eli, to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You need to go back and lay down in the temple. You need to go back and lay down. When you hear the voice call out to you again, you need to proclaim, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, there's a mentoring that's happening there. There's a discipling. When Eli preaches and proclaims that God is speaking to Samuel, Samuel is growing and maturing. He's identifying that God is speaking to him in that moment and understanding that God is calling him out. Eli was like a John the Baptist who proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God. I know in my own life there was this moment of growth for me when I was really turning my life toward Christ, so walking more intensely with Jesus. I'd understood that I'd kind of been living this divided life where I'd been kind of celebrating living this Christian life, but then over here living a very worldly life, a, a life where I've turned aside from God, right? And so I, I was basically living these two lies. And then this moment in my life where I hit that crossroad and I knew that I wanted to make this decision to follow Jesus more specifically and intentionally myself I needed a John the Baptist. And God put in my life a gentleman named Shad Baker. Shad was the associate pastor in my parents' church at the time. And I remember that we would, we would gather together beside the Hudson River and we would just be fishing. But the thing that happened wasn't so much the fish that we caught, although we caught a few catfish that, that day. It was the conversations that we had. And not just that day, but we did this numerous times. And when I met with Shad, it wasn't that he was teaching me profound words of wisdom, but, but it was listening, and he was helping me to identify where God was speaking to my life, where Jesus was inviting me to, to walk with him in faith. He was a John the Baptist to me. See, the thing is, the, the, the thing that, <clears throat> that Jesus ironically has in common with, with Eli, with John the Baptist, with my friend Shad Baker, was that, that they all pointed to Jesus, just like we do. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. See, John, Eli, Jesus, Shad, they all point to Jesus himself. They, they direct our attention not to themselves, 
because they are servants just as we are servants. And instead, they point to Jesus. They proclaim a message of Jesus as Savior. And they help people to identify where Jesus is at work in their lives. As followers of Jesus, we need him to help us make sense of our longings and desires. He is speaking into our lives right now. And we need to be coming alongside one another, encouraging one another to pay attention to Jesus in our lives. Who do you have in your life who is doing that? Coming alongside and helping you pay attention to Jesus at work in your life. Who are you coming alongside? Who, who are you coming up alongside and saying, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I feel like God is, is doing something in your life there. Someone that you know so well that you can affirm their gifts. You, you, can, you understand some of the things going on, the circumstances in your life. Maybe you understand a little bit about how they operate and who, who God's created them to be. And you can help them to make sense of the things that Jesus is inviting them into in their lives. See, that's why we, that's why we fellowship together as a church. It's not because we enjoy the coffee, all the coffee is good. It's not because <laughs> coffee is okay. okay? Got a, not everyone's pleased, but it's coffee. It's caffeine, right? It's that next high, right? But the fellowship is important. If, if all we do is walk in the door and say hi to someone and walk out, that's really not what God has intended for us to be as a church. These name tags are helpful because that kind of breaks down the barrier of, 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 of feeling insecure about going up to someone and saying hi to them because you're afraid you're going to forget their name. And by the way, don't be afraid of forgetting someone's name. I've done it way too many times to count, and I feel bad about that. I feel like I should know everyone's name by now, but I don't. So um, have grace with me. I'll have grace with you. We need that fellowship. We need to be able to come alongside one another. We need someone to come alongside us. We need to not just have someone come alongside us. We need to be able to trust those people coming alongside us as being people who can speak wisdom and truth and help us to identify what Jesus is doing in our lives. And here's the thing. When we, when we actually encounter Jesus in those moments, when we, when we see him work in our lives, when we read the scriptures and the, the truth of scripture just pops off the page at us and convicts us or encourages us or comforts us, in those moments... We need to understand that he's actually, he's asking us that very question that we started off the passage with this morning. What is it that you desire? What is it that you seek? Look at verse 38 of our passage. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? These two disciples said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, the, the question that Jesus is asking isn't so much for our benefit, but for the benefit of the disciples. Just like I started off saying, hey, just think for a moment. What is it you desire this morning? Jesus is actually asking that question of the disciples. I don't think he needs to know what they're seeking. I don't think he's asking, hey, what do you want? I think he wants them to think about what is it that you're seeking this morning? It's an important question to ask. It's important that they have a, a sense of understanding what path their life is on this morning. See, to, to seek something... It's not just to want something. It's not to say, hey, I want a cup of coffee or I need a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. But it's to actually actively pursue something. When we bought our last car, I didn't sit back and say to Tara, hey, I want a new car. But, but when we knew that we needed a car, we had to go out and do research on vehicles. We need to look around and shop for the right car for our family that would, that would meet our needs. We had to actively pursue the new car, right? 
And so it is with seeking. We, had, we have to seek out something and, and, and walk down that path pursuing that which we are seeking out. So this morning, you need to understand your life is on a path towards something. Your life, whether you recognize it or not, is on a path and it's towards something. That's why it's important that we stop and ask the question, what is it that I truly seek? It's a straightforward question, but but here's the thing. I think that it's, it's a question we all try and need to answer in this life. Whether you are just starting off in, this, in, in your career or you're at the other end of your career, we all need to ask that question and, and really seek an answer. What is it that I seek with my life? Volumes of books have been written about this. I know the popular purpose-driven life or, uh, or other books like of the sort. The, the arts celebrated in songs like Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? That's a, I remember growing up singing that song. The, 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 the his, our history celebrates this question. I don't know if you know this, but in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson coined these words or put these words in there. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This pursuit of what we seek, right? It recognizes that all human beings are seeking something. What is it that you seek? This is a, a, a question of purpose and, and the direction that your life is on. Jesus isn't asking them something casual. He, he wants them to skim the top layer of the butter off the, the churning, and he wants them to get the deeper matters. He uh, wants to get at the matter of where is their life, question, or their, their life headed. How do I know this? I know this because of Jesus' answer to them, his reply to their, their question. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And in their, in their question, they use this Greek word meno, which, which is a word for abiding. We're going to look at this in a minute, but, but it's very present in John 15, where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, and he invites people to abide in him. Meno is used over 40 times in the book of John. It's an important word to him. It's a, it's a verb that, that is important to him to understand as he thinks about his relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean where are you staying, like where are you hanging out later on. It's this idea of where, where will you remain? It, it communicated to the people in Jesus' time this idea of, of staying with someone, of walking with someone, of following them, not just following them physically, but obeying their teaching, living life like them, imitating them, doing like they do, loving the things that they loved. So when we talk about being followers of Jesus or, or how Jesus' disciples followed him, we're talking about how, how not we, we can't literally walk with Jesus now, but we walk with him in obedience, in trusting his way is the good way, the right way. In John 15, 4, when he talks about his people abiding with him, he says in verse 4 of John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. See, abiding in Jesus is a description of the, the fruitful life, a, a life of faithfulness to Jesus, a, a life where we find purpose and value and meaning that's provided by Jesus himself as we remain with him, as we stay with him. 
So when John's disciples ask Jesus where he's staying, they want to know more than just the physical location of where he's going to stop walking and, and spend the evening. They want to know if they too can follow him. They want to know if they too can become his disciples to transfer their, their, their uh, membership as disciples of John the Baptist to becoming disciples of Jesus. And then there's Jesus' response in verse 39. Because what seems like an invitation is more of a promise. What seems like Jesus' invitation, oh, come along with me, is more of a promise. He says in verse 39, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Come and see. Come for yourselves, and you will see. Literally translated, it uses the, the middle form of a verb where it says, come for yourselves. This isn't a decision that, that we all make. You've got to make this decision for yourself. Come for yourself, and you will see. This is not just a matter of a future uh, thing that may happen. This is a conviction that you will see if you come for yourself. Come to Jesus yourself, and you will see. Follow him yourself, and you will see where he remains. You will see the fruitfulness of being connected to the vine if you come to him. Come to Jesus in faith, abide with him, and he will gladly welcome you to walk with him. So this morning, we need to ask the question, what is it that your heart desires? What is it that you long for? What is it that you are seeking? If Jesus was standing before you and, and you had no reason to be ashamed but could be completely honest with him, what is it that you seek? What is it that you seek from him? I, you don't need to answer me this morning. But I want to challenge you this week. You need to take time this week to sit with that question and not just try and find three verses from Scripture that can back up what it is you seek, but really ask yourself that question. What is it that you seek from God? And understand that there is, there, there is a promise that God has given to you that you will see it in Jesus Christ. Jesus promises true satisfaction for what your heart desires. A number of times in our gospel, or sorry, the gospel of John, Jesus will make statements. He'll, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life for those who are lost. He'll say, I am the bread of life for those whose souls are hungry. He'll say, I, I am the living water for those souls who thirst for forgiveness. And where we abide where Jesus is abiding, we will find satisfaction. We will find contentment for our souls. We'll stop living from high to high, instead live a life where neither rust nor moth nor thieves can break in and steal, but embracing these eternal treasures. So what is it that you seek? What is it that the path of your life, uh, the, the path that your life is on? What has the attention of your heart, your mind, your soul are you, are you waiting with expectation, with hope, looking intently at Jesus, waiting for him to, to, to provide the, the joy, the contentment, the, the satisfaction, the comfort that you long for? See, Jesus made you a promise. He made me a promise. He made those disciples a promise. Come for yourselves. Come for yourselves, and you will see. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that, you that you do provide. You provide what our souls long for so deeply and so, so, so passionately. But Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom and clarity around what that, what that longing truly is this morning. Many of us, Lord, we have confusion as to what it is we long for, what it is we seek. And Lord, I know that only you can provide clarity there. And so, Lord, give us as your people clarity around what our longings and desires are. Help us to skim the top layer off. Help us to seek more deeply what it is we seek. And not just accept the easy answer, but spend time truly thinking about what is it that I seek. And may I understand that I will only find those things in you, Jesus. Thank you that you have given us a promise. Not not, not an invitation, but a promise. That as we come for ourselves to you and abide in you, we will see where you abide. I pray this all in your name. Amen.